Cruising is a figure standing in the shadows and a voice whispering in the dark. Where are you? I'm waiting for you. Cruising is looking dangerous and being in danger. Al Pacino is the New York cop who's cruising for a killer. Cruising, Certificate X. At the London Pavilion and Odeon's Kensington and Chelsea, now. Somewhere in there, I could say a really tasteless joke, <laughs> but that's just not what we do here. But uh, it is it is your mom's house. It is late Saturday night. Our parents are really, you know, at first their parents were like, it's exciting. You're going to come visit. Yeah, you've been you've been moved out of the house for 15 <laughs> years, and, and we're going to come visit. But then they didn't know we're just <laughs> they using They realized we're coming at like 9 o'clock at night and then just going to the basement watching movies. And yeah. All that. So you're not going to drink with all your friends and <laughs> cause a ruckus? No. Okay, you gonna hang out? Not gonna stay for dinner or maybe breakfast. Maybe breakfast. Couple fruity pebbles. I mean, bowl of fruity pebbles before we hit the road. My parents are older now, so they go to bed around nine, ten, eleven o'clock. So, you know, they're already in bed when we're over. Yeah. You know, I mean, a couple times we have to cut it out of the cast. My dad's like, "When is this gonna (laughs) stop? (laughs) Enough, enough. When is this gonna end?" Uh, a lot of times this happened to us uh, in the old days. Blake and I would be making noise down there. It's a very important part of the sleepover experience is waking your parents up by accident. Yeah, and it's funny you think in retrospect because we only w- when uh, when we met in college, you'd come back. We'd watch movies in my room or we watch movies in their living room, and we never wake them up. But then out of college, when I kind of moved back in with them, they kind of gave me the basement, which was finished. Yeah, yeah. So I moved all my stuff down there. We kind of just sleep in my bedroom, and it's funny that. Thinking about that, we were in the basement level. They're two floors above us in the second floor, and we still woke them up. Yeah. We had a floor of buffering. <laughs> and we, I mean, we, we weren't doing anything. You know, we weren't, like, getting, you know, I don't know. I guess we were getting wild. But it wasn't like we're, like, you know, screaming and playing dominoes. I I the only thing I would imagine we were doing was laughing at shit. Really. Yeah, laugh, being too loud, laughing, doing impressions. Um, I mean, we drank a little bit, but, you know, that, I don't think that really. It wasn't like we were fighting. <laughs> 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 the fight the, the coffee table. Move the furniture out of the way. Yeah, we're big, big WWE <laughs> fans, and uh, since we were in Connecticut and it's from Stanford, we were like, "Screw it, no holds barred, no holds barred." That good would movie. be a good. That one. would be a good movie because especially the, since the Hulk is in the news, uh, a time oh, this yeah. it would be timely. Hey, um, but we're not talking about that one. No, not at all. No, no. <laughs> but we digress. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. I'm Dion Baya, uh, always joined by Jay Blake. Happy to be here as always. Um, it is yet again another late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, depending on what you want, how you want to look at it, which way yeah. you roll. It's, it's a half comfy, yeah, glass half empty, empty half, half full. full. You know, whatever. What kind of guy you are? You know, it's between you and your gods. I mean, what, which would be like the more optimistic, like the more positive way of looking? At it? I guess Saturday night, right? Yeah, you're. Well, I don't know because then. Uh, Unless you loved Sunday. See, I always kind of hated Sundays. Yeah, because it's always just like... Because yeah, I uh, school tomorrow. The next day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's school weird. School or work. I've always looked at Sundays as being the last day of the week, but some people look at that as the first day of the week. Well, right on now. the calendar, it's the first day. Yeah, as well as like a lot of people get paid. If you get paid, you know, the work week starts on a Sunday, say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I don't know, you know, it, it, you could be a pessimist and then, you know, you're up all night and you don't want a Saturday night to leave. So you're like, I'm staying up as late as I can. And then when you go to sleep, that ends the Saturday night. Or you could be an optimist and be like, oh, the sun's coming up. It's this new day. It's technically Sunday. And I'm going to go to bed and sleep right through it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to waste the entire day sleeping. Yeah, sleeping in bed. Uh, dead to the world. Um, so we've been doing some fun casts over the past couple of months. Yeah, we've been trying. We've been jumping all around the... Uh, and uh, this is... This is July... Yeah, and this is coinciding with a uh, a release, and um, next week, if you're listening to this on the day we drop or whatever you say, the thirty yeah. first next week on the August seventh, two thousand fifteen, is the is yet another uh, superhero reboot. Yeah, this time for the Fantastic Four. So uh, Blake had suggested, why don't we do a Fantastic Four movie? And I said, okay. Um, I kind of Silver liked Server. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I kind of liked the old ones with Jessica Alba and Who Doesn't Love Michael Chiklis? And you're like, no, 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 let's go back. Well, this is actually a movie that when we yes. came up with the idea for this show. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought you were going to say reference. Uh, well, we'll get to yeah. even further back. But this was like one of like when we were like shooting ideas around like what we could do if we did a sh- if we did a podcast like this. That was this was one that was always was like a, like uh, on the original list. A of pillar. Like, like, oh, that would be really cool to do this movie. Yeah. We'll get to it someday. And, we and did, that day is today, yeah. my friend. You, suge- you suggested <laughs> it because as we did with the, uh, the Flash show, when the, when the new Flash came out, we did the uh, 1990 pilot for the Flash. Yeah. And uh, when you suggested this movie, I said, okay, let's well, get in the did, car. Uh, the Daredevil. The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. The show came out on Netflix. So we did, did Trial and Colonel Hulk, which, which phenomenal, featured, which features the Daredevil, Daredevil for Daredevil's first live action appearance. Uh, so you suggested this movie we were going to do. I said, okay, let's pile into the to, to my, my dad's uh, minivan, <laughs> his uh, Plymouth Voyager, <laughs> and uh, we drove to the video store because we still know where one is. It's hidden away, but you have to know where it is. You have to know the right password, you know. And uh, we couldn't find this one on the shelves. And I said, Blake, why can't we find this on the shelves? And you said because it was never released. Funny enough, it was never released. You knew that. I know. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just playing the game. I was I going know. through the. I was doing. It was the well, old trade. Okay. I mean, for me, the first time I heard of this movie. So, f- should we tell the movie we're doing? I mean, if I mean they've t- downloaded it or they're listening <laughs> to it, they know sure. we're talking about 1994's Fantastic Four. Yes. Also known as like Roger Corman's Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Yeah. Now, this movie was introduced to me, and I think. Likely you at the same time was at Midtown Comics. That's why I said yes, no, because I thought you were going to reference. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and I, well, as soon as we went started going to college in New York, we realized that you know Midtown Comics was in New York, so we started trekking to Midtown. And this is back when, which I don't think they do anymore. This is back when there was only one Midtown <laughs> Comics. Oh, there wasn't a Lexington Avenue. One? I don't think there was a Lexington, and there's one on Fulton Street, way downtown. Oh, too. I don't know I that don't one. Know how it could be called Midtown Comics? It's like for, there's a Forbidden Planet down there, which is another comic. Book well, that by Union Square, maybe that's by Union Square, and they moved. I don't know where their new location is. I haven't been there since the since the, the remove. Uh, we when we would go into the original uh, Midtown Comics over in the uh, the the Garden District, squ- like. Yeah. Like 39th, like maybe? Square-ish. 39th and maybe... What is 39th that? or 40th and like 7th. 7th? Yeah. It's right, it's right near the Garment District. Uh, we would uh, go in, and this is back when they used to sell bootlegs of movies. And yeah. This is where I first saw there was a show, Magician. Yeah, with, with which uh, we talked about when we talked about... Uh, what's his face? The Bix. The Bix. <laughs> the on the Trial of the Whole Cast. Yeah. And there was a lot of other things that you saw 
like, oh, I remember that. Like, stuff that wasn't available. Like, Jason, the Real Warriors. Like, stuff, or the Real Ghostbusters. Stuff that hadn't been on DVD yeah, yet. Yeah, old TV shows. And then they would have, like, that... I guess it was, like, the birth of, like... Probably not the birth, but it was, like, fan movies. There was, like, that... Super that, amazing, the that amazing Spider-Man one. With, like, an NYU student. Yeah, did some guy made, like, 80s. a feature length. Which I guess was notorious as well for them to have it. But this was at the time as well, is that since these things were a commodity and, you know, there was no internet really to, to look for this stuff, DVD was relatively new, if not coming out. I mean, originally it was probably All VHS. VHS yeah. We so there. when we would go... It would, it would kind of deter us because, like, say, a copy of this movie would probably be, like, 50 bucks. You know what I mean? They, they, they would yeah. really get... This is like going to, like, you and I collecting bootlegs. Yeah. How much money have you spent on, yeah. like, getting bootlegs, which now you can just find anywhere? You're, you're referring to bootleg, like, concerts and yeah. music, D, uh, CDs and whatnot. You and, I have, you and I have spent a lot of money on, like, a cassette tape bootleg. <laughs> sound like you garbage. It's on, like, a Maxell, like, yeah, blank Fifth tape. generation, you know. <laughs> You're like, this sounds great. Don't worry, man. I'm used to a little poor quality. <laughs> you know? So um, so they would have them there. And I remember they always have this plane in the background behind the register. They'd have this weird movie. And I, it was seemed to be always the end of the movie when they looked like they were, like, underground. Yeah, yeah. So it was very weird lighting and stuff. And I was like, wow. And you, of course, see the thing. You see their outfits, the Fantastic Four uniforms. And you're like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And I don't know if we had some dude who I mean, realistically, there. this was... We're talking... This movie... Was oh, that's true. It's relatively slated to be 94. And this is 97. We're talking, we're talking about like 97, 98. Yeah. So we're really only like 34 <laughs> years away. It's relatively new. So it's like, it's like talking about a movie now that came out like 2010 or 11. That's kind of crazy to think that. But to us, it was like the 80s. Yeah. Well, even when you look at it now, I mean, we'll talk about it stylistically. It yeah. It definitely feels more. Like an older. To me, like it's older than 94. Uh, so that's when we f how we first discovered it. And then I never really got around to getting it. Yeah, you we know, never bought it. You never, we never, we never we went got to, us. We went to conventions, and I'm sure it was there. But we we found other things that we that would pique our interest. Now there was always this like urban, le this legend, like this urban legend around this movie. Yeah, which, um, is the subject of a documentary that just got a distribution deal called Doomed: The Untold Story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, uh, directed by a guy named Marty Langford. He did the doc. He did the documentary. Uh, because this was something that he was completely obsessed with. Like, this notion of <laughs> there's this movie that never got... This, like, f superhero movie that never got released. I mean, we're not talking about, like, you know, like a pilot to a potential superhero show that never yeah. aired because the show never went or anything like that. We're talking about a feature-length film. Do you think this is in the, the lexicon now or the psyche for people to really, like, do people know this? I'm sure people who were into comic books into yeah, Marvel superheroes. Yeah, I'm sure by now there's got to be uh, like we're people that are more here. into comic books than, you know, that are you are. I mean, we know it. So, I mean, there yeah. are, there are, there, you know, we're comic book fans, but... We're not diehard. But there are people that are, like, re like really into comic books and stuff. Um, but so the, the rumor was always that... Uh, the producer owned the, you know, the, the rights to do the movie... The trademark or whatever he was—he had the rights to do the movie, and they were gonna lapse. He was gonna lose. Yeah, he he purchased the uh, the the back in the old days uh, when you could do this. He purchased the uh, the film rights in 1986 for like something ridiculous. He he purchased like them for like uh, like say two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and he had them for how many years? And um, 
Come like 92, they were going to expire or something. Yeah, he was going to lose the rights unless it was a stipulation because I think at the time Marvel was trying to get his stuff back. Yeah. So uh, if he didn't, if he well, didn't have the thing... It's one of the reasons why the, this stuff gets rebooted so quickly now. Fantastic Four, Spider-Man. Why mm. they go the Sam Raimi right to the next one. Because the way, apparently, the way it works is if you're not doing anything with the property after a certain point, then you lose... Like it, re- the the rights to it like revert back to the original person or whatever. So that's why like as soon as Sam Raimi's like Spider Man three is done, they're like we got to do another Spider Man movie or we're, or Sony's gonna lose the rights to do Spider Man. Which is so, so weird. they just keep turning up. So it's like they're not doing them for any kind of like artistic reason. They're doing it just so they don't lose the rights. And so it was always rumored that this movie was made so that the guy uh, like Bernd uh, Eichinger. Yeah, from uh, he's a German producer. Who Constantine also, Pictures. He did like never. End, he produced Never Ending Story and there some of the Resident Evil movies. And, and he then, did the the Hitler movie Downfall, which I completely love, which is now always parodied on the internet. They yeah, put, like you know, yeah. st- subtitles <laughs> over it. Yeah, but so you, so he's it's a German guy. He's doing. He's fairly. It's a low budget company, but he's doing movies that we've heard of. Yeah, and he pur- he purchased it for like we said, two hundred fifty grand in nineteen eighty six, and the rights are about to lapse on the thirty first of Jan- uh, December, like nineteen ninety three. So he says... 92, I'm sorry, 92. They, there's nothing in the contract of how big the budget has to be as for me to do the as movie. As long as it's in production. So he goes to Roger Corman. He's like, I need to do this movie. Like, I need to get this movie rolling. And Roger Corman's like, what kind of budget do you want? He's like, 20 million. He's like, scale it down a bit. <laughs> 15. Scale it down a bit. I'm thinking more like five. A, scale it down a bit. <laughs> I'm Roger Corman. Yeah, this is Roger fucking Corman you're talking to. <laughs> so uh, they come up with a budget that's, uh, you know, uh, one point four million. Like a, yeah, around a million uh, to make this movie. Now here's where like the story gets dicey because Stanley says in an interview at some point that he feels really bad because he sh- as he should, I, I think, but <laughs> that. The intention was to make the movie, and there was never the intent to release it. Like, from the beginning, it was like, we're going to do this fake movie. You know, we're going to do this movie. Unbeknownst, though, to... To the crew, the, the director, cast. everybody. Everybody involved except the suits. Those guys, again, we reference in the dark rooms, the boardrooms, chain-smoking cigars. <laughs> you know, we're so just making was, deals. There was always, this is where this, this urban legends, this rumor starts, that circulates, that... They made a movie without ever having the intention of releasing it behind everybody's back. Which is weird because when you go on and they, they, they're slated, they even had a release date. They wanted to, to release it like in uh, maybe in uh, late 94, but th- they were going to release it in, uh, on Labor Day. And they were going to release it at the, uh, the Mall of Americas. Yeah. They had a, a big com- campaign. These guys are going on press junkets, going to conventions. They had the trailer in front of Roger Corman's uh, Carnosaur, which was in the theaters. So yeah. it's like they were doing like, yeah. uh, press for it. So that's, that's where this rumor starts. And, and it was like a ca- this, this story like captures the imagination of like they would really go to the expense and the trouble like hoodwinking everybody just so that they wouldn't lose the rights to Fantastic Four. Now... With the advent of this documentary, and uh, which I haven't seen the documentary, apparently it it had a very great sc- a great screening at the recent San Diego Comic Con, and it's finally got distribution. Um, we were actually going to interview Marty was going to call in 
for this cast. I mean, we're going to interview them right here, but uh, because of our some phone, of the our phone <laughs> lines are down, <laughs> some of the business stuff going around, unfortunately, it just didn't work out. But uh, maybe we'll get to them in the future. We'll come back. Yeah, to them. but uh, be like update. <laughs> 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 it's like the unsolved mysteries update. But apparently, you know, Corman Eichinger, they claim that that was never the case. Yeah, it was only uh, Stanley, and then the, the, at the time the guy. They, say they never the had the intention of not releasing it when they made it. It was the intent. They did. They admit that they made the movie on the cheap, so that they didn't lose the rights. Yeah, but it was never their intent to not do anything with it. it it's interesting as a footnote that later on this producer, uh, what's his face, Eichinger, Eichinger, yeah, yeah, he ended up going on and doing. The, he kept the rights and he yeah. did the Fantastic Four movies in two thousand five in the sequel. Now the plot thickens, and I, this is you know I have. But no uh, before we go any further, this isn't unheard of in Hollywood because it's weird. In the mid fifties, we had Burt Lancaster, um, you know, one of the four runners uh, breaking away from the studio system, made his own company with a couple other stars. And they were going to do Marty, which was Ernest Borgnine's Marty. They, it was a TV movie they did with uh, Rod uh, Stagger was in it. And they wanted to, to bring it to the big screen, and they wanted to recast Rod Stagger. And they're like, no, no one would want to go pay to see it if they just saw him in it on the TV. So they got Ernie, but the intention was never to release that. They were going to just do it as a, as a write-off for a tax write-off. Huh. So they never really – they only got an hour and a half out of it. They filmed really quickly, and then when – uh, before shelving it, they went to look at the dailies and they're like, this is brilliant. Yeah, you yeah. know, we have to release it. And then they ended up releasing it and then it ended up winning an Academy Award and it got Ernie his Academy Award. So this isn't unheard of yeah. that this happens. I mean, Hollywood, stuff. you know, the film business is, it can be a little dicey in that way. Like things get made for tax write-offs, for weird purposes, without the intention. Um, but uh, where the plot thickens on our story is apparently, allegedly, uh, Avi Arad, who is the guy who's behind all these Marvel movies. He was at that time an executive for Marvel. And then when Marvel like went bankrupt a little bit later in the later nineties, he kind of stepped forward and became like a really big presence. He apparently contacted Eichinger allegedly and had a conversation where he's like, we love that you did the movie. We love that you're excited about the property. We don't want to take the property away from you, but we don't think it's the best thing for Marvel and the Fantastic Four to release a low-budget version of this. Hmm. So he offered money, supposedly. He bought it from So he's like, basically, let me reimburse you for the money spent. Yeah. And Corman had in his contract, it was always in the Corman contract, that at any point they could pay back Corman. And be bought out. And he would be bought out. So Avi Arad apparently then buys the movie and then has all the copies of the movie destroyed. Yeah, he, yeah, he has a burning party. He actually supposedly burns. <laughs> I mean, but he, he yeah. burns He burns every copy so he'll never see the light of day. How this got out, I don't know. And I think for years there was only like a, a, a 4.3 full frame available. Yeah. But the one we watched was 1.85. Yeah. So there is, they shot it wide. Beautiful widescreen, and now you can find it on YouTube anywhere. Maybe we'll even put a link into the yeah. cast. So now, Marty it. Langford, like I said, he was a kind of obsessed with this movie, and he's like the kind of guy. The, docu- he, the documentary. The guy who made the documentary Doomed, he would go to like car, uh, like conventions and like try to find like the best quality copy of this movie. Like he loved this movie, so this documentary was like out of, you know, like all. Like a great document. I need to tell. Like I need to find out what happened. I need to tell this story. Now it's interesting because. This is coming off on the heels of, like, there's this huge resurgence of documentaries right now going of, like, movies that could have been. Yeah. You know, you got uh, 
Jodorowsky's Dune yeah. was a, was the big one. And then there was just one that came out with uh, Richard Stanley's uh, Island of Dr. Moreau called the Island of Lost Children or something like that. Um, and that's a fascinating documentary right now on uh, like uh, that's just got put on uh, Blu-ray um, where that talks about the struggle of this guy, this independent like boy genius filmmaker from England trying to make like his dream project and having it ripped away from him and given to John Frankenheimer. <laughs> oh, and it turned out to be the Marlon Brando, yeah. um, whatchamacallit movie. Yeah. And all the turmoil of behind the scenes. That's a whole, that's a whole different story of all um, the shit that went and on. So we have that. Movie. And now we have just a kind of a limited release just came out was, uh, the death of Superman lives about Tim Burton's, did that actually get made and come out? Yeah, I believe okay, it. Okay, because I've only seen the crowd. I've only seen the, 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 the go. What do you call that? The, I believe the, it's playing here in the city in a couple of uh, Yeah, another, another documentarian was so fascinated by the, uh, in the late 90s, they were going to reboot the franchise and have Tim Burton come back. And was, it, was it prior to Schumacher or was it after Schumacher? It was after Schumacher. Doing Batman. Batman Forever. It was before... Uh, Batman, Batman and, Robin. and Robin, because basically it was Batman and Robin that made That's it go down the tubes. So Burton was going to direct a Superman movie, and he actually got paid, I heard. A lot of these people, it's, it's another interesting thing in Hollywood where uh, I think it's Kevin Smith did like a script for what, a Spider-Man movie or maybe he did, Daredevil. He did the Superman movie. Oh, and he got paid for that. Yeah. And uh, there's another notorious story where you take uh, Brian De Palma's Untouchables in 1987, they wanted uh, Robert De Niro to play Al Capone. He wasn't available. So they hired Bob Hoskins, and he was ready to go. And then suddenly De Niro became yeah. available, so they gave it to De Niro, but they still had to pay Bob Hoskins. So yeah, it's like yeah. there's, you think about the money they waste in Hollywood where there's people who are just on it or you, know, you retain the rights or you know, yeah. uh, they got to pay somebody off, and it's like all this money. These, like, so Burton and Smith collected yeah. paychecks for this movie that never went past, I think, pre-pre-pre-pre-production. Yeah. Well, that's what happens with, like, you know, think of all the movies where a script gets bought from a, from a writer. Yeah. And then it just never gets made. There are that's f- true. There are screenwriters that... That live on that. ...make a really great living and are very successful screenwriters and have never had one of their movies yeah. produced it's into only a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's only been option. It's weird. And, it, and it also, too, um, taking a movie like uh, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. That was uh, put on his desk in like the early 80s. He bought it and it sat in a drawer for over 10 or 15 yeah. years because he wanted to age into the role. So that must be another heartbreaking. If that's your baby, you've worked yeah, on a script yeah. for how many years, you give it to somebody, and you've got to wait like 20 years for the thing to get made, and you're like, fuck, I forgot yeah, about yeah. that. But I'm glad that that guy, the documentarian that you just mentioned who did uh, the Superman movie, that's out because that yeah. was really something, another interesting thing to it's see. It's pretty interesting. I watched, a, uh, I, I watched it, and it's... Um, it's good as like Room 237, like it's that? It's not like the greatest documentary ever, but it's certainly a fascinating story. Yeah. Um, and they interview everybody. You and, know? They, and they agree to do it. That's great. And, you know, like, uh, the only person that they didn't interview was Nicolas Cage. Who, who was supposed who, to be Superman. Who was cast as Superman. That happened weird. They even inter- but even Burton did an interview for it. Because that's like, that's like Con Air era Nicolas Cage. So the but long so hair. Speaking of eras, so 1994. So they start making this movie in 1992, and they make it through 93. It's supposed to come out in 94. Now, this is... We've discussed with the Punisher and when we did the Flash pilot TV show. And Dolph Lundgren's Punisher. And to also put this in perspective, uh, we did our first Saturday Night Movie Sleepover cast on Dolph Lundgren's The Punisher, which never got a theatrical release. It went straight to video. It was released overseas, but never in America. That... Uh, movie's budget was 11 million. Yeah. And this movie, Fantastic Four, which has a lot more special effects, 
is only 1.4 million. So you could see the 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 disparaging, you know, between the two. And you're right. This is coming off of. Uh, I think Batman, Tim Burton's Batman 89, put everything in the high gear. You had Ninja Turtles. You had uh, the Flash TV show that we did. You had, yeah. uh, of course, uh, another one or two installments of The Incredible Hulk, the Bix uh, sure. TV movies. This is, when we would talk, this is around the time of yeah. uh, Trial for The Incredible uh, Dick Hulk. Dick Tracy comes out. Rocketeer comes out. So you're still, But then it's starting to peter out after Batman Returns. And I mean, Batman Forever was still huge when Joel Schumacher got it. And everyone was like, this is going to be a well, great here's movie. Here's the thing. And... and, and uh, that's getting into know, like 95, right? 96. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit more at, uh, at some other point. But, uh, you know, this is like the anniversary of Batman Forever. Yeah. Um, which I guess is like 20-year yeah. anniversary of Batman Forever or whatever. And, uh, like, that was the movie that, like, saved Batman. Because, honest, because actually Batman Returns didn't do, like, it didn't, it did well, but it didn't meet expectations because it's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so there was this big, uh, you know, uh, push to, like, bring it back to, like, a more, a lighter, more comic booky thing. Because after, you know, Burton's, the Burton's Batman 89 is, you know, kind of dark and, and serious. Uh, you know, less so when you watch it in retrospect, but at the time, it was. And then, but Batman Returns is, you know, the... Penguin is very, it's a very odd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's really kind of weird. And technically, and Batman, I mean, Batman's killing people at the end of the first movie, but he's really he's killing people too, and it's just like, uh, it's weird, you know. So I guess it kind of was like a, a cold reception, and people are like, well, okay. Yeah, and then, but then you have the Batman the Animated Series comes out around that time, and, um, but so superheroes, so the point is, like, superheroes were, were big again. Yeah. And, um, and this guy had been sitting on the rights for Fantastic Four for almost ten years he, uh, since '86. So, and you know, um, the first uh, never-ending story that 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 was very good. And uh, so he he doesn't want the rights to revert back to, to yeah. Marvel. So he says, "Okay, screw it. We're going to put it into production." And the, who's the first person you think of to do something low budget? Roger Corman. Yeah. But see, before we get into Roger Corman, I guess do you agree with 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 my idea where like Rod either. You can't slag off Roger Corman for being a low-budget director, as opposed to you take like a Lloyd Kaufman from Trauma, a Trauma. Yeah, yeah. Lo- like you know, Toxic Avenger, Trauma, Trauma and Juliet. Those are low. Those are low-budget yeah, productions. Yeah. But Corman, I've heard like this movie was an like, ad- production value being compared to like Toxic Avenger's production value. And but Corman has put out good material. I mean, he's a stickler. You know, he he he, he keeps everything low-budget, but it's not necessarily like. Um, I think a deal breaker, or it's it's not really to the, hindering the movie. You know, I think he puts out great product as he did. Oh, I think he's a pioneer for independent film. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, okay, some of this stuff's very schlocky, and there's you know stories of him, you know, picking movies to do based on like the title or somebody drawing up a poster and be like, yeah, like I could sell that movie. Like there is like well, he almost do it on bets too. He did the original. Um, uh, uh, little Shop of Horrors, and he shot it like in three days on a bet that he couldn't do it. Yeah, you know, I mean, Corman was a guy who like didn't want to be in the film business. Uh, I got out of college, uh, started working, I think, for like 20th Century Fox, and he helped do a movie called The Gunfighter, uh, which I think it was Bert Lancaster. I'll have to uh, get somebody on it to see. And he had a lot of input in the movie, but his name wasn't on it, and he got so yeah. pissed. He said, "Okay, from now on, I'm going to do my own stuff." So he kind of broke away. And in the late '50s, he was he started doing uh, with uh, what is it a- AFI? No, a- what's the uh, American in- Independent Pictures? Yeah, I forget what his, um, his company is. But they started doing um, 
uh, Edgar Allan Poe movies with uh, Vincent Price. And the first one, House of Usher, isn't a parody at all. It's great. They did a couple parodies like The Raven or The Pit and the Pendulum. But then he kind of gets back and they do straight. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, how do you get an hour and a half movie out of like a, a novella like, or like a short story? Yeah, so yeah. some of it you're taking liberties. But the majority of those AIP movies are, um, are very good with Vincent Price. Yeah. And uh, coming into the late 60s or the mid 60s, he then also breaks away and starts doing these counterculture biker films, which predate Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are huge hits where it's like these 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 uh, wild angels or these these biker movies. You know, so he he was always, and then in the 70s he was doing like you know Death Race 2000 and yeah. you know those genre pictures. So he was a very ahead of the time, and a lot of people in the industry call him like it's like the uh, the Roger Corman f- uh, film school because yeah. think of how many people have come out of you know the yeah. Roger I Corman mean that's Tutelage. the other thing is you have to give him credit for one. Yes, but he also, you know, he made serious movies. He made, uh, forget what it's called. It's called something like The Intruder. Oh, yeah. With, with William Shatner? William Shatner yeah, yeah. as like a bigot. I mean, it's like he's, yeah. he, yes, he's doing movies on a low budget. Some of them are schlocky and catering to a genre. But he's also, at the same time, making some pretty serious movies. And uh, like I said, he's a pioneer for independent film. I mean, we take that for granted now. And most pi- and most independent films today aren't really independent films, even yeah. though they're considered that. I mean, this was a guy that decided he was going to do it on his own terms, with you know, uh, as a businessman, as an artist, and then as a producer... Like you said, he became, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese, yeah. Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma. We just talked about James Cameron before uh, um, other cast. We, Jack Nicholson as an actor, uh, Bruce Dern, um, tons of Joe people. Dante. Did you say Martin Scorsese? Joe Dante, of uh, uh, Peter Bogdanovich. I mean, the list goes on and on of either actors who got their start. Spielberg, I think, maybe, yeah. his first movie. Either either actors get their start like doing stuff like Nicholson in the Terror or Bruce Dern in one of the biker movies versus the directors who were start as maybe PAs or doing some sort of production design or something like that, and then they... they you know, they learn the craft there, or yeah. they hone their craft in the industry. So he's really put out like a, yeah. like a, like he has like a his graduation rate sure, of by uh, the nineties accomplishments and the late and by the eight lady by the eighties and the nineties he's primarily kind of known for like these mockbusters, yeah, um, you know things that are you know not necessarily parodies but maybe could be that Carnosaur coming out, yeah, you I, know, in conjunction the, with Dress Park It's kind of like what, what Asylum is coming out because of Gremlins. It's kind of like what Asylum Pictures does now that. They do all these movies that end up airing on Sci-Fi Channel or Siffy, whatever the hell they call yeah. it now. But I think Corman is a—he's an extremely important part of American filmmaking yeah. history. Yeah, and also as well, I think uh, he played a good part in the in the the the, the horror genre in the late fifties was kind of on decline. Uh, Hammer came in and got a big chunk, but these movies he was doing was really the only um, American input that we were giving back to the Hammer, you know, for the yeah, horror industry yeah. because the the big. Universal and all them, they kind of winded down in the late fifties with their monster stuff. So yeah. a- a- AIP was the only thing that was really cranking out good, good horror as opposed to independent guys like Carnival of Souls yeah, or whatever yeah. the hell. You know, like but that. like, but you know, like gothic horror. Yeah, you know? and that's another thing. It's like you know, he. It's it's not only that he's using people who like you know fixtures in the industry, Vincent Price and a shitload of the movies, but also in The Raven into uh, Pit and the Pendulum, you have Boris Karloff, you have Peter Lorre, you I think you have Ra- uh, uh, Basil Rathbone. So you have like yeah. he's getting known people in as well as he's bringing in new people like yeah, a Jack yeah. Nicholson or a Bruce Dern to do stuff, uh, Nancy Sinatra. Yeah. So um, 
you know, and that's why I say it's it's kind of unfair when you if 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 someone were to categorize him as low budget, then to compare him to Lloyd Kaufman, who's just yeah, yeah. completely doing it like you know like guerrilla filmmaking where he won't even pay people. You know, you worked there for for a week, and <laughs> I did. I, I worked trauma. For, I worked for trauma for a week, yeah. and you left. You're like, I can't do this. I, they're I, like, we're not going to exactly pay you. It was. <laughs> it, I would have believed me. I would have loved had stayed at trauma. The yeah. problem was like I you know, literally could not live off the wage they were, and I talked them up. That's hilarious. And I got them, but we had the negotiation of how okay, they were like a week goes by because they they want you, they want to get like a week of like really cheap labor, but they want to make sure that they get the right person. So you work for like half price for like a week, yeah, as like a trial thing to see if you want to do it to see if they want you. And then when that week's up, you have a meeting with you know like Lloyd and I forget his partner's name, and it's like okay, well they liked me, so they were like, all right, here's what we can pay you if you want to stay. Five twenty five like, an hour, and I. <laughs> I got them to raise that, and then it was still. Didn't they want to pay you with like uh, merchandise laying around? <laughs> no, I mean that's you. how. I, that's basically. I did get. A, I got a small wage for the week I worked there, and then I kind of was. And then I walked out with a bunch of DVDs. Yeah, not illegally. They were given to me. <laughs> a parting gift, <laughs> you know, consolation like, prizes. Yeah, it was like. But yeah, I would believe me. I would have loved to work there, but they were looking for sixty hour, uh, fifty to sixty hour weeks for like nothing. And I think, you know, this is New York City. Like, I don't know how... Now, fortunately, they're not in Midtown anymore. They're, like, in Queens now. That's where they left. They used to be on, like, what, 8th or 9th Avenue over there? 9th Avenue between 49th and 50th. And that was where they were for years. Right next to the McDonald's right there. That's funny. They were there for decades. And it's, it's funny, too, because if you know the city, a lot of those... 80s, 90s movies like Tromeo and Juliet were just shot over on the west side. You can tell, like <laughs> on the side streets by like the bus depots yeah. or like the carriage houses. And I don't want to disparage no. uh, what they do. I mean, I think no, they have a they have a completely. It's a very different uh, it's thing a, than what Roger Corman does, but not any less, I think, important to like independent filmmaking. No, no, it's just that they have a system that works for them good, and they have a a, a, a thing they go about and doing getting stuff done. It is. I mean, it would appear to be a lot less about quality, but. Nonetheless, the fact that you know they were able to do it, and he's a real go-getter. I mean, I got I got nothing to spare. Lloyd. To say. Oh, yeah. of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, more power to him that he was able to but accomplish all that stuff. But so now that we've set Corman, the scene, <laughs> yeah, we've set the table now. So uh, you know, God bless. Um, what's his face? The the, the producer, uh, Eichlinger. Uh, Eichlinger. Eichlinger goes to Corman. Okay. Ike Inger. Ike Ingler. Ike Inger. Noel. Noel. Inger. Okay. He goes to Corman and he's like, look, you know, I'm looking, you're, you're, the, you're notorious at uh, getting stuff done, you know, low budget. Can you help me out? Yeah. And they, they end up, they, they do it and they shoot, they do 25 days. They shoot this bad boy. Um, and that, that's a real haul to be able to do this kind of thing. And you know what? Okay. We watched the movie. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it was pretty good. I like it. You know? I watched this. For the first time, uh, about a year ago, maybe. Oh wow! Okay. Maybe a little more. I watched it, and I told you, I was like, you know what? It's good. It's not so bad. And then, so we decided to watch it now. Um, it's actually, and it's actually, t- from what I've heard from fans, say it's it's a little, it's quite faithful than even yeah. the the re- reboots that were just done with that he did in two thousand five and whatever six or seven the remake was or the yeah. sequel was. Well, I mean, I think the thing to think about is, uh, you know. Fantastic Four was a comic book that started in the 60s with Marvel Comics. Yeah, Stanley and Jack Kirby. So, you know, the 60s, okay, despite, like, the turmoil of, like, you know, the Vietnam War yeah, and, later on and in things the end. going on and, and uh, you know, um, you know, this threat of, like, 
you know, the Cold War, despite, like, everything else that's going on in the world, it's a pretty innocent time. Yeah. Um, you know, this is when you have, you know, it's like the monkeys and Partridge family are on TV. Yeah, a lot of escapism. You know, but it's like, it's a very, it's very just innocent. I mean, there's like, there is like an innocence about uh, those early comics. I mean, because that's like, it's like the time. I mean, there's like a Leave it to Beaver, you know. Yeah. Kind of. Well, I always feel like a, a decade always bleeds over into the next. And if you look at the 50s, the Eisenhower 50s, and how, like, perfect, uh, um, you know, model America it was, you get into the 60s, and maybe you can say with the Kennedy assassination, but, you know, that decade bleeds over into the 60s. So you have, like, the, the, the um, uh, what do you call that, the, the marketers here uh, in New York City. You know, you have that era of uh, men, AMC's show. Oh, like the Mad Men. Yeah, you have like Mad Men. You have that kind of world. Or you have like the, the romantic comedies. Or you have, like you say, the escapism of like, you know, I Dream a Genie, Lu- Lucille Ball, uh, Bewitched. You know, those are all on. All these quirky, yeah, yeah. oh, freaking Hogan's Heroes. Let's make a joke about contraception <laughs> camps in front of the show. And the guy's like, go. It's greenlit. You know, yeah, so you have these shows. You know, you know, like you said, the monkeys, where it's just like, it's just, eh, it's... There's it's like this innocent cleanness about it. And of course, look, Marvel went on, uh, you know, X-Men became, it was the statement on, like, you know, racism and equality, blah, blah, blah. And a lot, of, I think a lot of, what a lot of people liked about Fantastic Four was that, like, it was a super team like the X-Men, but without, like, all this social, political, you know, commentary weighing it down in the 70s and 80s. Um so it it was like as a comic book itself it was thought of as being more like escapism and i think w- I, what really stands out about this movie especially in the first half to me is that there is like this innocence to it yeah um this idealized like escapism like innocence squeaky clean you know they uh with the, the relationship with the kids and they live with the, oh, the foster, <laughs> you know, there's just like, Oh, like great to see, you know, there's just like this beautiful innocence to it that I think is more reminiscent to like the classic days of like fantastic four and comic books. Someone's like, he's paying homage to it. Yeah. You know, I think like it's, it captures that feeling of, more of the time that the comic book was originally set in as it started than it does, you know, obviously in the, in the nineties, you know, where Batman, we just talked about is taking it to like a darker Burton's place. This is kind of going the other way and making like a much more innocent, uh, squeaky clean version of a comic book. Well, they, 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 they say that they, because of their, they knew that they were going to be working with a shoestring budget, if you can even call it that. Yeah. So they tried to emphasize it more on the character development, which they argue wasn't there so much like in, in the Batman or in the Superman. But um, I think it worked here. You know, the, you really get into the characters here. I mean, the actors are really good that you got in here. I mean, you have um, Joseph Culp, who plays uh, Victor Von Doom, yeah, who is Robert <laughs> Culp's son. You know, I mean, we, we, Robert Culp from I Spy, Columbo, a bunch of stuff. He's great. Joseph Culp has, uh, yeah, is he, doing, he brings it. You know, um, you have Mr. Uh, Reed Richards is uh, Alex Hyde White, whose father was Colonel Pick, uh, Pickerton in My Fair Lady. You know, and uh, he went on to do, he's in Pretty Woman. And also, he plays young Henry in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, but his, his scenes got cut out. 
So hopefully maybe one day, or, or maybe there's deleted scenes on an Indiana Jones box set, huh. you know? So you have him, you have uh, uh, Ray Underwood, who is... Jay. J I'm sorry, I said Ray. Jay Underwood, who is the person we were trying to think of uh, a couple casts ago with the Disney cast as yeah. the guy with Alan Thicke. You know, he was the, uh, did the robot. Um, he was doing the robot. <laughs> he, was doing the ro <laughs> no, he played uh, Alan Thicke. He's a dancer. He's he played doing the robot. <laughs> he played Alan Thicke's son in a trilogy of movies, Not Quite Human. Uh, Chip Carlson, and uh, he's also an Uncle Buck and uh, a movie near and dear to your heart, yeah, he's A Boy Who Could Fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's a familiar face for people, I think, of our generation. He was, his, he was a on a lot of stuff in the 80s. Uh, you have Michael Bailey Smith playing Ben Grimm, who uh, I can't remember what installment. Maybe you'll remember. Uh, there's a Nightmare on Elm Street. Where there's like a Super Freddy, five totally jacked. Five. He plays. He's he plays the Super Freddy in that one. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's how he got he, he got into acting because uh, he went along to an audition with his friend, and uh, the casting director looked at him because he was six four. He's a bodybuilder, and he said, "You got to try out for Freddy Krueger." And uh, he 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 uh, he did a very uh, uh, evil maniacal laugh, and they hired him on the spot, and that's how he got into the, to the film industry. Uh, so you have him. You have. Um, also, Rebecca uh, Staub. Staub? Staub, yeah. Staub, she's in it. And a uh, um, uh, very familiar face, I think, for people of our generation. Like, she's in uh, one of my favorite episodes of The Wonder Years. I mean, she was in a lot of stuff, like, in the 80s and 90s. I mean, she still works. Uh, we but, have, uh, um, as well, uh, Kate Green, who plays the uh, uh, blind girl, uh -huh. Alicia Masters. She went on to do stuff in Buffy. She she uh, she played Harmony on Buffy the Vampire Slayer for all those Joss Whedon fans out there. And uh, also Carl um, uh, Cafello. Cafalo? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he played the... the he, he was almost like the David Prowse. Yeah. He played the thing He physically. was a stuntman that was the guy in the thing costume. Yeah. And uh, last but not least, a great cameo at the beginning by George uh, Gaines, who was a uh, member of Punky Brewster. Punky Brewster. He's in, Punky! He's in to Tootsie, which is one of my favorite And movies. he's in uh, the Police Academy movies. Yeah. You know, so you, you have him at the uh, beginning. That was a great impression, by the way. Punky! <laughs> <laughs> That's my one-hit Punky Brewster impression. Uh, so you have a good cast, and you know what? They're all really good, and you know what? It is it is low budget, but you know what? I don't think it hindered it. Um, they, they actually based this off of um, the Fantastic Four issue one, the origin story, and the uh, Fantastic Four annual two, and they even used the subplot of... Which um, is like Doom's... Yeah, Doom's origin, origin story. Yeah. And they actually used a, um, a, a subplot um, of, uh, what's her face, the girl Alicia Masters. Yeah. Uh, that was actually a subplot in one of the issues to have um, uh, issue uh, number eight in 1962, to have that love interest between her and, and the thing. Yeah. And so they're actually going back and using source material, which I think is great. I think they're tr I think they're making a I think they're making an attempt to be faithful, which yeah. is totally commendable. And uh, you know, more faithful than Burton was, you know. Yeah, he was bringing it back to the roots of like Bob Kane's dark, evil kind of a guy. Yeah, but even you know, maybe that was the original intention. But whenever you see a Bob Kane, you know, maybe past those uh, that original. Like the original, yeah, yeah, yeah. Detective Comics. But you're saying once you get into the Batman and Robin era of Bob yeah, Kane, yeah, like Bob Kane's like, it's always like this big crazy smile. smile. <laughs> yeah, it turns into the almost the more of the Adam West into the 50s because I wonder if it's just because of the yeah. um, the commission um, with, with with what's his face. Um, I forget the guy's name. Well, Wortham maybe the guy, the psychiatrist yeah, who got be. who 
this uh, this bar EC Comics. You had to. Ha- where else do you go with with Detective Batman to keep well, it alive? Well, also, you know, as we're talking around, it's also a reflection of the time period. I mean, you're, we're talking Batman comes out like during the Depression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, and, and, and people were looking. Man, they I mean, were all people, looking for superheroes. They're to coming idolize. out. They're coming out like during the fucking Great Depression. Yeah. So you know, by the time the fifties roll around. You know, now we're on like the baby boom. Yeah, we f- we fought we fought off the know, Nazis. So what else can they do? Suburbia. You know, um, it's I kept thinking about when watching this movie, and I don't know if that means it's because they kind of look the same to me, but it kind of really had like um, a feel of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. It does you have know, that feel. That the w- the look, the the set design. This does look like it was a lower budget. And also, like, the animatronics of the costumery, you know? Well, there was definitely, you know, when I watched it, you know, the first time, like, a year ago or two, whenever that was, um, that was one of my things that I told you. It was, like, you know, it was, even though I had never seen it before, there was, like, I I felt this great deal of nostalgia while I was watching it. Because it does have, like, this feel of... That's so like late eighties, early nineties. Like to me, it feels more like a late eighties <laughs> in terms of like uh, just feel and like production values. But I guess they started making it like in ninety two. So um, definitely, I totally agree with you. It 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 has a feel that is so of that time period. Yeah. That like that's like instantly what I fucking grabbed onto as a viewer. It was like totally taking me, even though I hadn't, I didn't see it when I was like fourteen or whatever. Twelve, it brought you right back. To it. it like it transported me into the way back machine and like took me to childhood. I was like, I totally felt like you had like a little was, stiffy. You're like, like I, w- I, like, I would have loved this movie when I was. Little. I, that's, and see, that's the thing. I was thinking about it. If you put on your um, your analytical hat and you try to think about like you know going back in the way back machine and thinking about you at that age, I think this this I would have. I don't think the the lack of budget would have meant anything to me well here's the you know yeah i think it would have been i think if 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 you played it okay adults i think would have probably um maybe let it go a little more back then as opposed to today but i think they would have been a little more forgiving back in the day when it came out but i think kids would have ate it up yeah you know i mean i've i'll i've never seen it i've never seen that like 90 Captain America movie. Well, that that was the next thing I didn't and that bring, is a movie that I've, I'm sure we'll get to on this. Likely when the next Captain America movie comes, <laughs> which is a, that was a director video that came out around the Punisher too, which but is a director video. What little I've seen of it, and I remember seeing it on TV and seeing parts of it, but I've never watched the entire thing. It like I can't imagine that from my me- recollection, like it doesn't seem like it's any. But much bigger in times of scope and but and you know like production values than this movie seems. And like. it's at the time Marvel was really really staggering and DC was really hitting high notes, which I guess you could say is completely reversed now. But you know you had Superman, Batman, um, and so Marvel. The only thing that Marvel really had going that was a uh, moneymaker was Conan the Barbarian. They had the rights to. They tried with the Punisher that didn't work. They tried with Captain America that didn't work. But at least they released those two. This yeah. movie, you would think that they would try to do something with, as opposed to just, hey, release it onto TV, make it a TV movie. Why not try to make it as a pilot for a television show back then? You had The Flash. They could have easily tried to put this into production. And this might actually have been a little more well-suited to, to a TV yeah. world because you, it, it, 
tends to be a little hokier back then. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's not as dark as it is today with, with these new shows like uh, Gotham yeah. or, or, you know, The Flash. That's, actually, that's a totally good point. You that, know? That they totally could have done something with it. I think the other thing to keep into perspective is when you think about, like, the cast, the crew, and especially, like, the cast of this movie, you know, you put, like, you know, so much to work... This is, you know, the director put so much work and time into this. And, okay, like, you could argue, like, okay, the cast got paid for the work they did, so it's not that big of a deal. But you take a look, like, the director, for instance, he was he came out of music videos, uh, Oli Sasson. Um, I think he had done a, a feature, but he, was, he came out of that time of, like, when David Fincher came out. And, you yeah. know, like these, you were making this transition as from music video directors into regular directors. And this movie comes out and they can't, and it doesn't get distributed. And when you, when this movie doesn't come out, it's not like he can put it on his reel to get another job. You know what I mean? Like it, there, there are like ramifications to uh, a movie not coming out that you're like, I think the typical person wouldn't think of. Like, this is, he just spent so much time, he made a, like a superhero movie, and now he can't show it to anybody. He can't use it to get another job. These actors don't get the residuals that they would get if this movie had an actor. And there's probably even a stink on it as well, if people know in the industry what happened. They can't put know? it on their acting reels. Um, they can't, you know, there's like, this is, like, you make, especially in, early in your career, before, you know, if, as you're trying to make it big, every project is so important because it's supposed to be the thing that moves on to the next project. Yeah. And with a, with a, with a franchise, like a potential franchise of like a comic book movie, you have like the, you know, there's, think of, like you said, all the, the, all the like the opportunities that got lost of like a potential sequel, maybe a cartoon show they could have voiced, or it could have become a tele- television show. Yeah. Like everything that like any potential, anything that seemed promising about this just got like ripped out from, <laughs> from everybody And especially the w- since they, they, I wouldn't say they were lied to, but they were told this was going to get, they were even doing, you know, we, they had a release date. We're going to release it they did at the Mall of the it. Americas. It's going to be a huge thing. The trailer was out a- in, in Carnosaur. So it was really like the night before. You know, they're yeah. ready to go. They're getting their tuxes, like, you know, pressed and their coattails. And they're like, no, it's not happening. You know, it's like the mob. They kill somebody. They tell you afterwards. <laughs> There's nothing you could do about it. Um, I guess uh, to, to go to, to recap it quickly, it, it's just basically the origin story of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, you know, Reed Richards and uh, Victor Von Doom were friends in college. Uh, they're both really smart. Uh, they're really close. Um, this um, anomaly is flying by our planet called the Colossus, which is, I guess, some sort of um, maybe like a Halley's Comet kind of a thing or something that has some sort of power. Yeah, some kind of astrological anomaly. You know, that's very exciting. That's going to have like gamma rays or some sort of rays, you know, that, that Stanley has made up. And uh, the t- uh, Victor and uh, Reed try to, to, to make this kind of machine to harness that. And, they, and uh, what is is it the thing where they have? No, that's later on. It, <laughs> it backfires. Uh, Victor is horribly scarred and we think get killed by the accident. Uh, and then 10 years later, we have uh, Reed's graduated college. He's got his two friends from the boarding house. He's um, already working at the Baxter building. It's all souped up. Yeah, it's, everything's going well. They're going to go up in a space shuttle to, uh, I guess, maybe check out some more gamma rays. They have this big crystal that's going to help them. It's going to help kind of like dampen so they don't get exposed to the rays. That is uh, stolen by a uh, guy called the jeweler. Who is <laughs> this is the only part of the movie that I was not crazy yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird. He's kind of like a mole man. I don't know why they just didn't keep the mole man from the original Fantastic Four, but he's the jeweler. He's not. For, they, they made him up for the movie. 
He steals this big diamond, replaces it with a fake. They don't know. They go up in the space with the fake. The fake doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and they're all exposed to whatever radiation that they're exposed to, the yeah. gamma rays. They come back down, and then, as you know, you have Reed Richards is, is now like Plastic Man. Uh, little Storm Girl, she's able to um, turn into uh, Invisible. Invisible yeah. And you have uh, uh, the other Storm Johnny, he's able to flame on, turn into a flame, and then you have um, Ben Grimm who turns into the thing. Yeah. You know? And then we find out Victor is actually alive. And Victor wants revenge on them, and then and he, of course is the clash. Do- he's Doctor Doom. He's Doctor Doom. Yeah, the, the, and he's gone insane as well. The whole like mole man subplot is the only thing that I feel like he really kind of. Well, the jeweler, with. yeah, yeah. You yeah, could have done without this. Yeah, because it kind of hokies it up. Because there's the scene when he it, it, it introduces a level of hokiness. Because there's the scene when he goes to steal the diamond, and it's kind of played for laughs. Where he's like, uh, he's like uh, stepping over the the security system lights, yeah, yeah, but like then the laser then they grid. Sp- it seems like they speed it up a little bit, so it's like, <laughs> so it's like it's kind of like you know, I don't know if we're supposed to laugh. I don't know yeah, how that's yeah. supposed to play. I thought his special effects his and he's like in love with the blind girl, and he yeah, kidnapped her because he wants her. He wants her to be his queen, his underground queen. So it's a subplot that is. Could have been left on the table. It's kind of like the the weak link, in my personal opinion, of the movie. Yeah, but otherwise, I'm with you. Like, I enjoy, I enjoyed this movie. Um, and they did what the, what they they did what, what with what they could, what they had. They did it well. I mean, they they really, I think, they blew their wad on uh, the thing's costume, which I think is really good yeah, for the time. It's, it's cool. animatronic, the face. So they were able to control it all by remote control to get different expressions. It's very much like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or anything that Jim Henson yeah, was yeah. doing at the time. They could have uh, made it a little bit leaner. He's he, uh, the, bod- the body, like the... the he's big. The he's, got, he's barrel-chested. <laughs> yeah, like the, the torso is a little... Ra- little they could have made it a little more heroic-looking. But other than that, very cool. M- the most literal translation of the thing to live action yeah i mean so I, th- I thought it was i thought it was good and i thought it was a selling point on the movie i mean even at the end you may argue against me here but even at the end you could tell for budgetary reasons they were trying to hold back johnny from turning into uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the human torch but at the end he does turn yeah and i thought it was perfectly good yeah. i mean for the time it's very much of lawnmower man or whatever cgi yeah. you had of the time and yeah. maybe uh if they were going to release it maybe they would have went back and touched it up a little more you know, because it is very simplistic with, like, just it's a humanoid figure. You know, but I thought it completely suited the uh, yeah. the purpose of the story. And, and we got him to turn, which is cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, even the effects of, like, the practical effects of uh, of um, Mr. Fantastic. Is, is that his name, Mr. Fantastic? Yeah, Reed Richards? Yeah. You know, I mean, the shit he's doing with his arm. I mean, that's really cool. Some of that stuff yeah, and how they edit it. It's not so bad. You no. Know, it's, it's I mean, it's hokey, but, it, but it, it's, you know, he's yes. knocking people out and stuff. I mean, despite the fact that, you know, we like this movie. Sure. There's a lot of, like, kitschy and hokiness. There's a lot of, like... Sue Storm standing there and two guys about to shoot her and she turns invisible and clearly like I guess ducks whatever they shoot each other yeah. or they run into each other there's a lot of like kind of hokey bones but there's also like a lot of like there's a lot of moments that are genuinely I thought genuinely funny that are supposed to be funny like there's the scene when they uh, I think it's when they originally get captured by Doctor Doom and he's like I'm gonna and he leaves for some reason <laughs> he lets all the guys I don't need to watch yeah he's gonna let them kill He's going to let all his men, who are kind of dressed like him. His doom bots. Yeah, like, kill them. He, like, leaves. Then there's this big fight. They end up escaping through a hole. Like, Thing punches a hole in the wall. They leave. And then he comes back in, like, oh, and another thing. And he looks, and, like, no, and everybody's dead. And it's empty, and there's a hole in the wall. goes, huh. <laughs> it just goes away. It's like, oh. I thought he did just, a good job. His reaction of just, like, huh. 
uh, Joseph Culp in it, I thought it was a great job, and he says it was really hard. Um, he wishes, he says, if they ever re-release this movie, he would do the ADR for free. Because I guess they ADR, ADR'd some of his, his stuff, but it was so um, hindering the mask yeah. that a lot of it's garbled, and he was then, so he was trying to be very physical. So at some points, I was thinking that he was almost throwing, like, gang signs. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, like, yeah. he's, like, throwing his hands down. And, like, it's almost like a, like a Beastie Boys rap video where <laughs> yeah, he's, like, yeah. at the camera. And it's very much like a David Prowse kind of a thing where it's, like, he's trying to overact yeah. to try to have the physicality. Well, that's the thing is, you like, know, the Doom mask doesn't have any emotion, you know. It's no, it doesn't even move. It's, it's not like it, it's not like at least with uh, the thing you have, you can make different expressions. It's just, a, yeah. it's like it's very reminiscent of like Destro's yeah. origin story from GI Joe of him, be, like you know, like uh, Man of the Iron Mask. Yes, type you, thing, you know, you're yeah. cursed and you have to put this, you know, your, all your relatives to put this down. I thought he was great. I, I thought Alex Hyde White was. He, they brought it. Yeah, you know, I, that's you know, the thing. Is like really, you, really cool. You know, like despite like the budget and the. And the clear limitations, like these are guys that are serious about their craft, and they and they brand, they brought it. I mean, they were good. Um, I also want to bring up the uh, the two guys who did the soundtrack for this movie: David uh, Eric Worst, and um, I got to find David's last name. I think they're both Worst. Are they both Worst? Yeah. Uh, they coughed up six grand of their own cash to get an orchestra. So they had a 28-piece orchestra, and they recorded it in the Capitol building yeah. in the sound stages that Sinatra used to record in. And I think that really pays off because at the beginning of the movie, I was like, this is a really good soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, aside from there's a couple it's like... It's very reminiscent to Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's very it's very like a Horner, James Horner, yeah. or even, you know, like, a, uh, like John Williams. The uh, There's like this piano theme that gets... That is like, I'm, one, I'm, like, I'm like, did they just... Is this the temp score? Like, is this just Jurassic Park's... Temp score, but it's not. It's very, and you know, Jurassic Park had just come out. You know? Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, like the opening, like the title, and then it's like this big sweeping orchestral score over, like you know, like space shots and planetary. Uh, it's a ballsy score, especially with the strings. It's like you know, really gets you in there. Uh, and I thought it worked great. I mean, you know, there's some cues here or there that are kind of cheesy that go with like that jeweler guy or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But aside from that, the overall theme, I think, is great. Um, also, Optical Nerve, who did the special effects, uh, I really loved, like we've been praising the effects in this movie, the practical effects, the special uh, effects and makeup stuff. They went on to do, uh, well, I guess at the time they had already done the Savini's remake of Night of the Living Dead, which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, so that's pretty cool. So, it's, so overall, I thought it was, it was very good for what they had, you know. Um, and I really think, sadly, uh, all these actors were really putting their all into it. They were really thinking this was going to be, like, you know, they had maybe dreams that this could be as big as Batman or as big yeah. as, you know, because at the time, like we said, that you know, how you have, like, Dick Tracy, the Rocketeer, you have uh, the Crow, yeah, you yeah. have uh, <laughs> Batman, you, ha you know what I mean? You have Batman Returns, you've got uh, a couple Superman movies, you have all the, the stuff on television. So, so superhero movies were in our psyche and you know people were digesting them not to the level that they are now yeah yeah but, but it, it was, was like it was the first it was, and the comic books were huge because it was it was before the, 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 yeah. the, the, the floor dropped out of comic books yeah that was like it was definitely like the preamble of what's going on now there was like the first push yeah <laughs> you know the first surge so these guys are going into it like you know this is gonna be really you know I've been you know this is really gonna put me over the top and it's um. like you know, ultimately, plot-wise, it's like, uh, you know, there's something going on where Doom wants to take their powers, harness the powers that they got from Colossus. Yeah, and, and then make and, him into, and, and, and turn and him into his own. So into his own, and then he has this beam that's going to destroy New York City. 
Uh, and he's using the diamond that, that was stolen by the jeweler, yeah. so he needs it back. And um, so there's a little bit of a love story you know. between the blind Alicia, the blind girl, and Ben Grimm. Yeah. Um, Which again is, uh, is I love the sort origin material from the where comic. like, you know, they they're trying to figure out what happened, and then Reed Richards comes up with like, okay, well, like you're shy, so you become invisible, and. Johnny, you got a hot temper, so you, <laughs> you turn into fire, and I'm stretching myself too thin all the time, so I'm stretchy. And the so they have like this big like scene, and Ben Grimm's uh, the things like, yeah, but you guys can live like a, you guys like you guys cannot use your powers, and nobody would know. Like, look at me, and he just decides he's gonna leave. And then I love like this like the shaky like handheld footage of like him walking or like in the city. Yeah, and this giant, this guy, this giant, and everyone's like, you're looking at him, and he, he ends up running and hiding in a back alley, and then of course he gets but just like he's just like him, they, like they clearly just like grabbed footage of this guy in a big costume walking around, around. The city. and people are like looking at him, and then it's like he goes up to some women in the street, and they're like, oh, yeah. they're like freaked out. Well, they definitely even I think the director even says he kind of had the idea of like a Joseph Merrick, like the yeah, Elephant yeah. Man, when doing it and having emphasizing that, and it goes back to characters. Sure, you know they're trying to, and I, I like at the end how he's like so. This despondent, he goes and hides like with a trench coat in like a uh, back alley, and of course, like some prep cook comes out or some like dishwasher. <laughs> he's like, like, Get the hell out of here! Yeah, yeah. And he's and like, that guy's familiar. I can't think. Of yeah, what I else thought he looked. In. I thought he looked he's familiar a ton too. Of stuff. He's like, no, you gotta get out of here. And he whips off the. He's like, dude, I'm just sitting by your trash. Who cares? <laughs> oh, you gotta get out of here. Like, yeah, I'm he gonna get off, fired. He rips off the blanket and it's revealing that he's the thing. And, and he goes, and the guy freaks out, and runs away, and pisses himself. You know, so th- I think they give it their all. I mean, everybody in here, Corman, you know, helping to do stuff. They shot a lot of this, uh, or probably the majority of it, all on Corman's uh, studio lot in Venice, California. And, and uh, they use different sets around L.A. And uh, I guess they must have shot one or two things here in the city. I don't know. Maybe. There's definitely, like, establishing shots of the city that yeah. they either bought or... You came here just to shoot, like, the city from, like, Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the, the sun <laughs> yeah. coming up in the morning. Um, it's just a shame that this got such a raw deal, not to bring up uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> you know, but it's just, it's like, you, you would think they would have done something with it. It wouldn't have been such a bad, you know, a laughable... Yeah, it, is, it is weird. You know, it'll be interesting to see when this documentary about it comes out and, like, this, like I said, this resurgence of documentaries getting made of like movies that never were and here we have a movie that was yeah and just never came out it'd be interesting to see if you know something happens and then this movie ends up finally finding its way to like DVD or Blu-ray or something I mean that would be totally exciting with like special features I mean this is really up there with um for uh, I heard for bootlegs, aside from in the old days, trying to get the Star Wars holiday special, this was like the second more, second most, yeah. like sought after bootleg, and this is up in there with like, um, you know, uh, the uh, the Brave, that Johnny Depp movie that never came out, you know, that that he did with Marlon Brando, or the notorious um, Jerry Lewis movie, The Clown that cried, yeah, you yeah. know, or there's another one like a maybe the. The Dust in the Wind was an Orson Welles movie that never got finished. You know, it's like these, you think of these these huge projects, you know, uh, that never get made or get made and get shelved. Or like you think of the, which we were talking about documentaries earlier. There's a docu- great documentary of uh, Lost in La Mancha about oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Gilliam trying to do Amanda La Mancha with Johnny Depp in the 90s and that falling apart. So it's like you have all these these stories. I think there's probably even books on it, like the, the 
best movies that never got made or whatever. Sure. You know? So, I mean, it doesn't even matter who you are. You could be someone as big as a uh, Orson Welles or a Marlon Brando or Johnny Depp or whatever, uh, Jerry Lewis. And for whatever reason, your movie either get, never gets finished, you can't get the funding. It's so horrible, you have to shelve it uh, for Jerry Lewis's sake. Or with this movie where you have everybody who's really giving, they're on their A game. I mean, they're, 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 they're realizing the limitations of what they have and they're saying, fuck it, we can make it better. And I think you and I agree that they do make it better. And then the, the, just some one guy in that smoky boardroom says, we're shelving it. We're going to buy it from you. We're going to shelve it and have it not see the light of day. When yeah. you could have easily turned it into like uh, a shitty afternoon TV show. You know, yeah. that could have, that at the same time, could have rivaled the Power Rangers. Yeah, I mean, you or think this like is that. like the time of the Power Rangers. You know, so you like, know? you know, you have, you have Ninja Turtles. You know, uh, at this time, I think, you, you know, a Secret of the Ooze had come out. So you're probably on the third Ninja Turtles movie where they go back in time. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have a Ninja Turtles cartoon show. You have Power Rangers on television. You have Batman the Animated Series. You had The Flash for a year. So why not give us a Fantastic Four, like on a Saturday morning? Especially if you're, with this, you can just turn it around the marketing and say, hey, we're gearing it to kids. That's yeah, the reason yeah. why it's hokey, because we're, you know, remember Captain Power, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like the, yeah, yeah. you do something like that, you know, where well, it's, you, I um, mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's an awesome perspective that I didn't even really think about. I mean, you think about this is around the time that like Power Rangers comes out and this is like when Power Rangers were just yeah. like live action, like live, like footage that they shot edited with like Japanese. Yeah. And I don't really, bought. I don't really ever understand the whole, wh how that goes. It's like they, the Power Rangers or whatever they were, were huge in Japan or wherever they were out east. And some company got the bright idea of just either buying or releasing that footage coming over here, reshooting the, the on-set stuff with American actors, and that's it. And then just... That's how it I believe that's how it originally was. And like they just at married... At least the first couple of seasons. Yeah. And then they started just, you know, filming everything themselves. That was something that was like when we went to that convention a couple of months ago, whenever that was. Oh, that, yeah, that, that was huge. That was the thing that was well, like shocking to me. It's so weird now. We're at the age, we're, we're in our mid to late 30s. Power Rangers is over 20 years old, so on television. Power Rangers was, it came out when we were, you know, we just were Just leaving that scene, I think. Yeah, like we were just a year or two older. I didn't have cable, so like after school, yeah. what I had to watch was like really limited. Like I think. And so like I watched it sometimes, but it really was geared towards an audience that was younger than us at the time. Yeah, like the Saved by the Bell. Like I think like when we were young enough, we were watching Ninja Turtles. So if, if we had, it been a couple years later and we were and We're talking young, about the original cartoon show. Yeah. Yeah, and, and with Power Rangers. But to think now, uh, fast forward to today, 23, 24 years later, so there's a whole fan base that has now grown up. And we, yeah, were, we, yeah. were, we you were always talking about how crazy time is. We just did that a couple casts ago. And it's like you think about, so you and I go to this this uh, great horror convention at the New York no, Hotel. No, it was a comic I'm sorry, a comic book convention, which is the one we went to last year that we did the side cast on. Yeah, yeah. About it's like the comic book marketplace or something here once a year here in New York City. Yeah, we attended it this year, and we did a, a great cast on uh, podbits.com last year at Hero Boy. Uh, with you two, we're talking about comic art or, yeah. or, or just um, uh, cartoon art that you can buy, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I digress. But we go we go to this this convention a couple months ago here in the city at, at not the New York Hotel, the Pennsylvania Hotel, and there's a huge line because two of the Power Rangers are going to be there. It was day. a big deal for people, and people are dressed up like in Power Rangers shirts, and I've never seen people like geeking out in such a way where I guess it's kind of like you're, you're removed from it. So it's like if you're not a Trekkie and you see people dressed up as Trekkies back then, you're like, wow, that's crazy. I thought yeah. I was crazy. Yeah, yeah. But these kids are just like, screw it. You know, I'm a freaking Power Ranger. I know. I'm and when we were leaving, as we were walking out, 
there was like people showing the other people like what they got signed and people giving each other like high fives for the costumes that they were wearing. It was like this whole fan base that I had no idea existed. But it was logical because they've all grown up now, so they must be so. It's 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 yeah. It wasn't like what the hell. It was like huh. No, but I mean it's, it that's was, what I mean. It's logical it's in a like sense it where it's really like oh yeah, I never never even thought about it. And it's so weird to think about like as a and guilty. There's been so many incarnations of the show too. That's where I get Different lost. Casts. It's it's like the uh, Stargate show. You know, Stargate started the TV show Richard Dean Anderson, and then they they've gotten like half a dozen Atlantis blah blah blah. And I've lost kind of what the hell is going on there. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder if a guilty pleasure for these people who, who are fans of uh, the Power Rangers, like, you know, like people Star Trek, you just go home and rewatch the seasons and stuff like that, or is it something more to geared to their childhood where Star Trek, you can still say you're an adult and watch it, whereas, you know, with us, if we go back and watch something like, I don't know, Ernest P. Worrell or something that's dated that was live action back then, is it more of a guilty pleasure as opposed to we're still watching it? It's. I think with Power Rangers, it's a weird thing because there's been so many casts. There is like a Power Rangers for like every generation of kids growing up, you know, starting with the generation just before us. Yeah, you know, or so, just after us. Because like you know, a friend of mine's son, who's like eight, went through a big Power Rangers phase, like you know, in the, in the last couple of years, and I think my nephew has Power Rangers stuff. You know, so there's been like. You know, like we say, like you say, like every, you know, like what generation, like who, what Batman was your Batman, you know, when you grew up, you know, and I think there's, I think that's going on with the Power Rangers. You Seriously. Know? Like everybody has their, like their cast and, you know, like I'm not sure that a lot of the Power Rangers that were the Power Rangers when, you know, like Amy Jo Johnson or whatever her name is, <laughs> whatever the cast was when we, you know, the first incarnation, I don't know if they would get as big of a fan base because the people that were excited about it were a little bit younger than us at the convention yeah they it were, wasn't yeah. like people that was our age it was the like, kids in their 20s yeah kids in their 20s late that 20s were, that were psyched for it those those little rascals and I, you have no idea like this like you said had they transitioned this fantastic four movie into being a, into being like a pilot movie and like Fox airing it like on Sunday night, yeah, and then having it be like an after school like a Power Rangers esque show. Yeah, it could have been. They could have like, did these people could have been you know like oh I got Sue Star, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you're J- Jay Underwood, you know, because they really were. They were the first live action Fantastic Four. I think what really just impressed me about this was just that you know it's one thing if you make a really shitty low budget movie that's sourced off uh, original material, but not only th- that they they try to do the best they could. I mean, even to the point where, like, um, Culp talks, of, Joseph Culp talks about, like, he knows the backstory of Doctor Doom, so there's a lot of nods to the character, like, kissing his, his necklace because it's, it's, it's his mother's amulet, or he wants to get his thing back, or they base the, um, uh, the, the guys at Optic Nerve who, who did the, um, uh, the thing's design, they base it off the John Byrne, uh, the artist who drew him uh, on yeah. a legendary run of Fantastic Four. He's a writer artist, so it's like oh, you yeah. know you could see that they're usually you know they're 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 well versed. They went and did their homework, and then to the point like we were saying was you have the 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 actors after the thing is wrapped, they're actually going to children's hospitals to promote it. They're going to yeah, comic book yeah. conventions. It's slated again to open at like the Mall of America's on such and such date Labor Day weekend. So I don't and know like, why. And like the proceeds to that were going to go to charities. Yeah, complete charities. You know, uh, that, that have already, that were already slated out that were g- like Ronald McDonald. They were going to, they were already slated to make appearances. So I don't know why 
it's one thing if they had wrapped production, like say we were talking about Marty, yeah. and then they were, that was it, okay. And then they realized, oh, what we have is gold, let's, let's finish it. They, are, they, were, they did p all post on it, and it was yeah. only like, like maybe, uh, what's his face, Avi was too busy at Marvel yeah. And realized he got like a sticky note, like oh, <laughs> you have to show you have to show up for the premiere of, uh, and he's like, what? Oh shit, I completely forgot about that movie. Eight months later, they did all the posts. I didn't want him to do that, you know, because yeah, yeah. they could have just shot it all. I'm like, okay, thank you very much. That's all we want. We're not going to do anything else. But they did post on it. They they you know made it look the best it could. They were doing marketing for it. But it I mean, it is a good question to be like, why? <laughs> yeah, but to be like, okay, like that. For some reason, they thought that was going to kill. And let's face it, and I, I, if, I don't want to offend any Fantastic Four fans out there, but let's face it, it's not a property that in like 1994 or even today is like this hot, like, you know, I, I don't think people like were clamoring for like well, a you Fantastic know, Four movie. I, so certainly it, the fans were, but I, I... So my point is just like, it's funny, like that, like they don't want that release, but that Captain America movie is okay. Or yeah, uh, or even the Punisher. I mean, to a lesser extent, I would even venture to say uh, I'm going to put on my my uh, Swami hat and try to do like some um, uh, predict the future here. I don't even think that the new Fantastic Four movie that's coming out is going to do very good at all. You know, I I, I haven't seen anything about it. I've I seen think a couple posters. I think it'll do well, like on its initial release and for like a couple of weeks. Will it stand like the test of time? Who knows? I mean, but I don't think it'll do like they're a trying Avengers to do, or like the Guardian of the Galaxy money. Even more than, you know, the last Fantastic Fours. They're I think they're really trying to like make it an updated, like more taking it more of like making it more of like a serious. Yeah, it looks a little darker and you know today, and it's about like transdimensional like traveling as opposed to like a comet. <laughs> you know, they're trying to really update it, and I give credit for it. I mean, for me, like I remember when I heard like the two thousand five Fantastic Four movie was coming out, and I was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, uh, but that's me. I, I was never a huge Fantastic Four reader, so in my perspective. It was, but I, you know what? I felt the same thing about like Iron Man. I mean, these properties people forget. Like before the Iron Man movie, uh, uh, the Hulk was popular only because of the TV show. In terms of not only, but you know that was, outside of the world of comic, yeah, like, the people. Um, but there was like Hulk, uh, the event, basically all the Avenger movies. These were not like huge no. characters. I mean, and they had their day. No, because they've already they'd already gone and and. And they, shot off their wad by doing a Spider-Man movie. They did an X-Men movie. They did a but, Daredevil but movie. But the X-Men, you know, but X-Men and Spider-Man, those were huge Marvel properties. But, but they've, but since they've already cleared them off, I know. You know, they they already got. And that, you know, and those were made by a different company than Marvel. Yeah. Marvel was left because Stan sold off, <laughs> off all the rights, trying to save Marvel to Fantastic Four, X-Men, Punisher, yeah, he Ghost got, Rider. He gave away like all the, not gave him away, but he sold all the, the, the rights to it. So Marvel to was... To keep Marvel afloat. So, Ma them, so Marvel was left with what they could do. It was like 90% of America never even heard of Guardians of the Galaxy oh, yeah. before the movie was announced. Yeah. Um, so it was like Marvel, now Marvel Studios, you know, owned by Disney, you know, doing a hell of a job with basically scraps. Yeah. And making like those, like the real powerhouse comic book movies of today. So, fair, I, fair play to them. Yeah, totally. I, I'm not dissing them at all. No. But my point is like, 
a lot of these movies were coming out strictly because like Blade did okay and then X-Men did awesome. Yeah. And then Spider-Man killed. So then it was like, let's start <laughs> everything. Go, <laughs> go, Everything go. we got, you know. Yeah, that's where you get Electra, Daredevil, you know, all that kind of stuff. And now you know? Ant-Man just came out. I mean, they're taking properties that, you know, weren't in their heyday weren't selling copies like Spider-Man was, you yeah. know. And more Batman and Superman. Yeah. So I guess we're just both kind of disappointed that this the fate that this that was bestowed on this 1994 uh really the original fantastic four movie you know and like i said a lot of fans who i've talked to cited as being uh you know more faithful to it than the others you know be it like the character development as well as the uh you know well the, yeah i think the the, the storyline marks i think the bottom line is like it's a shame because yeah. it's they could have did is something it, with is it is it great i mean i mean is it like an amazing comic book movie i don't think anybody would argue that is it totally entertaining? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's entertaining. You know what it is? Is it bad? Is it exceptionally bad for 1994? Not really. No. no. It's not. It's I not. Thought that's why, it, for me, I instantly thought of um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that original movie, because it's kind of the same. It's shot almost on the same stock of film, it yeah, looks yeah, like. Yeah. They're using some of the same locations to a certain extent. You're in that kind of New York City that's very reminiscent, <laughs> reminiscent of The Crow. It's not New York City. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. So that's and, what I loved about that war zone. Punisher movie. Oh, exactly. Same thing. Was yeah. that like the, the third reincarnation? The New York and that was like the New York and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Like it was like, so that movie for me was also very nostalgic. Oh. Because it felt very, like that New York felt like yeah. the New York in my head when I was growing up because those are the movies I grew up with seeing like what New York was like. Yeah. yeah. Which was like, you know, Vancouver <laughs> or something. Yeah, K-cars and stuff. <laughs> police know. cars, like Gotham. So it's like, it's so... You look at that's why I know Turtles did so much better because it had a lot going for it. But it, to me, they're just like it's well, the same here's kind the of thing. thing: Turtles was a huge property at that time. Yeah, Fantastic Four wasn't. Yeah, and and it, it's it's funny to think that because Marvel and comic books were huge, and to see where Marvel is now as opposed to DC, it's really surprising that they had all those years struggling until I don't know maybe the mid two thousands. You know, ten years ago is really when they got their act together. Uh, somewhat to say, I mean they. The, with the X-Men coming out in Blade, you know, they kind of got their footing. And then, you yeah. know, they, they had a couple... But again, that wasn't Marvel. Those were other companies. Yeah. Well, properties. we have Marvel properties. But then they had a couple clunkers, you know, the, the Punisher movies, Elektra. Uh, I don't know how Daredevil... I don't know if that fared Daredevil very well. Daredevil uh, Oddly enough, I did a double feature uh, before I came over to watch Fantastic Four. I watched the director's cut of that Daredevil movie. Oh, wow. Okay. With, with I was like, you know, I'm watching this Fantastic Four with Dion tonight. You know, leading up to it, I'm going to get in the Do mood. some Daredevil. You know, I you, you when I told when I told you that I got it, you were like, you love that movie, and I was like, I don't love that movie. It was that everybody says how bad it is, and like my point is, I love comic book movies, yeah. so I'm like, I even like <laughs> the Daredevil movie. Watch it this time around. Not great. No. I mean, it's fine. See, with me, I don't think it's any. I don't think it's any better than the Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's saying a lot. I mean, with me, I I I um. I, I even like the Ghost Rider, and I hate Nicolas Cage. Yeah. I, don't I like hate the Nicolas Ghost Rider Cage, movie, but I, mean, okay. I thought the Ghost Rider one was good. Um, but I didn't read Ghost Rider, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Only did I. I thought it was very atmospheric. I liked Peter Fonda, who was, an, again, there's a guy we forgot. who was another yeah. uh, graduate of the Corman School. I liked him playing the devil in it. I liked all that stuff. So, anyway. Um, a, a couple notes to leave on. I loved how the uh, when, when, when uh, Victor Von Doom was supposedly 
declared dead when they when they called they pronounced his body yeah, yeah. uh those the, the, it's the uh, on-call er doctor who becomes his number right hand man so it's like the guy he's the dude with the beard i'm yeah, sorry yeah. he's dead and then he take they take him downstairs well, i think he's posing as a doctor oh I okay really i thought he, oh i thought he was really <laughs> a doctor he's like, well, so why the hell in the first place where's the conspiracy there's something going on with I, I lost that because they yeah. take his body and then so there's it, no real it's like he gave up his career as an ER doctor <laughs> there was no real uh, explanation I think that he's some kind of royalty Doom is yes yeah, yeah Doom is so royalty uh, Car- Carviria or I can't even pronounce the thing he's, he's and that's lost why they throne. take him and that's also a point of he wants to to to, to uh, to kind of what's the you know his his mom has been uh, exiled and he wants to bring back the what do you call that the, the esteem or he wants to uh, honor he wants to bring the yeah, honor back yeah. to his family so that's goes to a lot of the backstory that's why they kidnapped ah, I see that makes a lot more sense that. now they're from there and the last thing which I didn't understand was the storm kids who still are still living in the the, the boarding house with their mom yeah, yeah did we ever establish that they had anything to do with any way competent for them to be able to go on a spaceship? No, not, not okay. only that Because it's just like, we're going over a spaceship. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Storm, could, could the two well, of us come out the play? Like, why are they qualified? And, and, and Ben Grimm's like, well, you know, they nobody knows more about what you're trying to do than they do because they were they were little. We lived in their house when we did it. But yeah, there's no. Because I was like, did I miss something? Are they? Did, did I miss like a, a, a snippet of dialogue where they're like, maybe I don't know what they yeah, are. Yeah, like they engineers. went to space camp. Yeah, <laughs> they went and met uh, what's her face, uh, Terry Terry Bradshaw, not Terry Bradshaw. What's her name? Uh, what's his face's wife? Steven Spielberg's wife. Oh, uh, who's in space camp? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In Dreamscape. I can't um, remember what her name is. It's, it's Terry remember. something, ain't it? I said Terry Allen I Shaw. Anyway, her. but anyway, they went to space camp with her. So it's like I didn't. I, that's why I didn't. Yeah, get. there is no real explanation of how why they're qualified to be astronauts. There's not even like a training sequence. No, yeah, no. They're where they're like, going oh, up there. well, we're gonna we're gonna train them for it. Nope. They just who wants to fly to space? Tomorrow? I do. I do. <laughs> so you, they kind of wonder. Well, you know, shit's gonna go wrong if you have people completely <laughs> unqualified. <laughs> one half of your crew is completely unqualified yeah. to be up there. One, one, one. You're bringing her because you want to tag her, and the other one you're bringing her brother along just because for whatever reason you like him is like you know he's your, he's your biggest uh, fan <laughs> it's like you know what does this do <laughs> pull the whole thing up end of movie ridiculous very good point yeah so i didn't i didn't they, they all they had to do was just throw a line in there you know uh, yeah they're uh gen- you know genetic engineers or whatever or something so yeah for uh, me the like i said the uh, uh, all valid points uh for me the underground all the other ground stuff was kind of weird. There was like the, I feel like there was this like fascination with like the under like underground societies. You're coming off of like, you know, like Beauty oh. and the Beast, the TV show. Oh yeah, you, you had Ninja Turtles were doing that a lot. Ninja Turtles were underground. You Sam know. Rockwell. You had Chud from the eighties. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah, it's very hey, it's it's a fascinating topic. I've got a lot of stories about <laughs> underground dwellers. You know, so you know, so it was a, it was a weird point in the movie. Uh, that I could have done without. Otherwise, yeah, can't be good, good wholesome fun. Yeah, what do you want? You know, for for a million million five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially since if you think about the Dolph Lundgren Punisher, they did that on eleven million dollars. Yeah, yeah. They take a trip to Australia to shoot that shit. Wow. So, what did you think out of um, out of sleepover colas? Sleepover uh, caffeine colas, me- mega caffeinated colas. I would give this a three, three, three and a half, maybe yeah. three. I do mega jo- I, I do sleepover stars. Um, I would give it about three, three and a half, too, because it's 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 everyone's putting as much as they can into it. It's very like I said, it's very nostalgic. Look, there's a very nostalgic feel for it, even though we didn't watch it when we. This wasn't a movie that we grew up with, but when you watch it, it's hard not to 
not to reminisce in your in your mind's eye about you know I wonder the if kind this, of stuff that we did watch and love when we were little. I wonder if this came out between Batman and a Dick Tracy if they would have you know either put it on television or let it get released because I know once Dick Tracy does very well you kind of get I don't think The Shadow did very well I think The Rocketeer bombed sadly and I can't tell you why to this yeah, day yeah. we're, uh, we're going to do that Rocketeer yeah. one oh, yeah. of these days yeah. we'll probably do all these we're mentioning <laughs> Dick Tracy The Rocketeer The Phantom I don't think did well no that you know so it's well. like I could see why the, you see these movies tanking you know and they're like I don't know what to do but you still have the Batman and F- Batman Forever you still have The Crow coming out so you still have these kind of comic book turtles you know these these things that are doing well so i wonder if it just came out two or three years before if they would have really got somewhere with it or at least that's a good you know, question it is a it is a it is a in the context of a flash tv show that year year 1990 yeah. you know what i mean i mean you go back and watch dick tracy and there's parts about that flash tv show that are not that are on par with what's going oh, on yeah, yeah yeah of course set pieces set yeah. designs you know we did we did we covered that in the second episode of uh third episode of saturday night movie sleepovers that we did the flash pilot from back 1990 so uh-huh. I, I i really enjoyed it i think it was a great pick and like yeah. you said a lot of these movies that we've mentioned today, almost all of them, we're probably going to get to at some point. Yeah, yeah, you know, we love the shadow. We love—I don't know about—I never seen the Phantom, but you know, I never saw the Phantom. But it could be something. You know, we I love know the that, I know that Bruce Campbell almost got cast as the Phantom, yeah. and then that would have been—that would have been a what if game. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll say that for the movie, the what if, or what if segment. So, um, and you know, we have another big superhero movie coming out soon yeah. to, to to ring in our anniversary. Yeah, we had we have a our one year anniversary is coming up. Yeah, and uh, we have something fun planned. We're, co- we're cajillionaires now. We're going to get our underoos out. <laughs> and we're going to make it's going to be great. We're going to get our one piece uh, pajamas with, with the pants. With the, with with the, the booties. With the, the feet. Yeah. And then we're going to get, you know, get our G.I. Joe and uh, Transformers one piece pajamas out. Our onesies. And we're going to have a good time. So and I'm, and I'm, I'm actually, I, I really, especially after watching it this time and talking about it. I'm kind of psyched to watch this documentary about it. See what what else they can, what other light oh. they can shine. I'm I'm psyched to watch that and the one about the uh, yeah, Super Tim Burton Man, Superman. Superman one. one's cool. I definitely yeah. recommend that one. But this and one looks like it's gonna be cool. Did too. we bring a third one up too that you said that you just the uh, Richard Stanley one's really interesting. Yes. Okay. I, the uh, one about the Island of Doctor Moreau. Yeah, I knew nothing about the craziness that. of Marlon Brando with Val Kilmer. Yeah, was he the <laughs> was he the director that kicked off and then came back as a cameo as the tiger? Like, he couldn't deal with him, and he left, and then he that's when Frankenheimer came on board? He, yeah, yeah. He didn't come back as a cameo, but he did sneak on. Spoiler alert. He did sneak on to the set with, like, a mask and just, like, to see what was going on and is an extra in the movie. Oh, I was... I, uh, for years, I was always under the impression that he's the tiger at that beginning, that they're trying to, you know, that they initially are trying to control, and he breaks away. And Remember that one at the real... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he was him. But anyway... That's a whole different other... This is the problem. Other than Jodorowsky's Dune, which is, like, super well-made, all these movies are, I think, like, for the most part, maybe, like, crowd-funded, crowd-funded, like, ventures. So These, docu- these yeah, documentaries. Yeah, these documentaries. So, you know, they could be better, but they're awesome. And But they, you know, you could tell they're pe- the people making them are passionate about it. And, hearts in the right place. And hearts in the right place. And they're definitely doing, like, the best they can with, like, the money they were <laughs> able yeah. to raise with it and whatnot. Uh so, yeah, uh, this was great. Check us out on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers at SaturdaySleepovers.Podwits.com. Uh, SaturdaySleepovers.Podwits.com. <laughs> we're on uh, Facebook. You can see us there, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. We're on Twitter. Uh, we're at Sat Sleepovers. 
uh, uh, we're now on. You can listen to us at uh, Player FM. We're now on Stitcher. Yeah, check, check us, us out, out there. on Stitcher and subscribe to us on iTunes. Yeah, we're on iTunes too. And review the show anywhere you yeah, can let us know. on iTunes. You know, Stitcher, FM radio, FM you radio. Know, if there's if there's customer reviews, we'd love to hear what you have to say about it, especially if it's positive. <laughs> yeah, that's always a plus if it's positive. If you're enjoying it, but yeah, subscribe yeah. to us. Check us out. We have all these all these other platforms now, so you don't have to listen to us. You know, just on our site or just on iTunes, you can listen. To yeah, us and just so people know, if you don't want to get any of these these sites, you can go right to our website, and you can right click and either you can listen to it there, or you can right click and download the cast yeah, directly yeah. from uh, SaturdaySleepovers.podwits.com. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't want to get an iTunes account, or you don't want to go to Stitcher, you don't want to find us on FM radio, and I don't mean FM radio like on the aerial antenna radio, Player FM, Player FM, yeah. Uh, you don't have to have those to listen yeah. to us. But if you have those and you like them, you can find us there. Yeah, if you have an internet connection, go to uh, SaturdaySleepovers.podwits.com and you can right-click that bad or, boy you and download everything there. write us. You know, we'll throw a bunch of them on the DVD. <laughs> yeah, we'll sell them. That's how... Oh, yeah, you, you, you write us in... <laughs> We'll yeah, I don't have the internet, but yeah. I would love this. We'll, th- we'll throw. We won't even give you it. It won't be a data disc <laughs> like our parents. We'll just give you a. We'll just give them to you as tracks <laughs> on a CD or a, uh, a DVD. So, uh, Blake, where they, where could they find your stuff? Uh, jblakeblues.com. Yes, for all my uh, all your blues uh, needs. Uh, any, anytime you need anything, and I'm podwits.com. I'm around town as well. You can find more out about us at uh, our bio page on Saturday Night Movies Sleepovers, and. Uh, I hope you come back in two weeks because we've got a lot of fun things planned. Um, we have a, 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 another near and dear to our hearts coming out in two weeks. It's uh, yeah. another. Yeah, we got a fun one. Another summer up. movie. Another summer. Well, <laughs> I don't know how to tease it, but you, uh, you, I don't know how to tease it. But it's foreign. It's okay. foreign. It's uh, it's got sharks in it. There's a shark. At least one shark in it. Uh, we've got um, there's some breasts. We've got a lot of breasts. For those people out there, that are <laughs> and we got a lot of special effects. Yeah, we've got um, and we've got some uh, people who have died but are still walking around. So, um, hopefully, there's some people out there like, oh, I know, I know, I know. But and, uh, we, and we, we we haven't worked out yet, but we might do some fun stuff for October probably. We'll yeah. see. So that'll so be real kind fun. Of time again. So uh, point being is come back. Please come back. We'll leave the light on for you. Yeah, like Motel 6. <laughs> and, but not here because Blake's mom's going to get mad. Yeah, yeah. So. My mom doesn't want anything. No, no, I said. <laughs> 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 don't want you coming over here late Saturday night. I'm, I'm here to see Blake at the... Uh, uh, I was told that they're here. But anyway, uh, we'll see you soon, folks. So. All right.